0: Good morning, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. Today, I have on a super awesome guest, Mr. Nick DeSanto. Hello. Nick DeSanto is a musician and sculptor from central Pennsylvania, traveling the world with his ukuleles and a multifunctional contrivance known as the Desantophone. Nick performs wherever audiences might gather, having brought his one-man parade to countless fairgrounds, retirement communities, street corners, vaudeville theaters, wedding halls, and pubs throughout the United States, Canada, and Japan. Nick's enthusiasm for designing, building, and playing his musical contraptions is boundless, as as is his love for the ageist American music that comprises his repertoire. You can find him and his projects at Nick DeSanto1, the number man band. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to talk about all the contraptions you make, how you figured it out, and all that jazz. But what I'm really
1: concerned, uh, like, what I want to know first, <laughs> where did your love for music start? You know, it's always kind of been there. Um, my love for anything creative that I could get my hands on. Um, it was never just music. And it was really not primarily music until into my mid-20s. Um, it was always music, visual art, drawing, sculpture. Um, I remember music especially coming to the forefront when I was maybe in my early teens, um, late tweens. Uh, my brother and I got really into like, uh, listening to the Beatles, little cassettes that our dad gave us, and uh, you know, singing those songs and then sort of gravitated to different instruments that sort of complemented each other. Did you go see Paul McCartney when he was at Baltimore? I have never seen Paul McCartney. Uh-huh. I, yeah, hope, I hope to catch him one of these days. So when did you start
0: creating your own uh, instruments and or what, got, what got you into the one-man band aesthetic?
1: Yeah, you know, I was trying to remember like what was actually going through my head when I first started uh, putting instruments on my back. Um, and I remember trying to just put a bass drum on my back to accompany myself while I was playing the guitar. I think I just, just really missed drums. They're my primary instrument. And so... I I liked the engineering challenge, you know, being a a sculptor as well, of trying to get the drum on my back and make it, you know, lead to my foot and all that stuff. And I remember really thinking that I was going to stop there and that I wasn't going to be one of those sort of gaudy, silly one-man bands that were covered with bells and whistles and stuff. But, you know, that that went out the window pretty fast. (laughs) (laughs) What was the reaction when you first came out
0: with a guitar and and a drum on your back?
1: Um, remarkably positive like uh long before it probably sounded coherent or you know looked very good or anything just uh yeah really really positive so
0: from there did you uh did you have to research about one man bands and like what all was a part of that or did you was it very much a DIY figured out yourself
1: uh, i'd say it was 50/50 um i kind of looked at every photo i could find uh both you know really old antiquated one man band setups um you know there's people doing it around the world uh by far you see more people that sit and play um some kind of you know foot drum kind of setup mm-hmm. um but there are people that wear the instruments uh, and I would kind of glean a little bit from their setups uh, not a whole lot but um there was a one man band in the sixties who was i think he actually had a few like mainstream hits um trying To remember his name now, Don Partridge, I think. Okay, and yeah. that's where I got the idea to sort of stick a tambourine under my elbow while I'm playing the guitar. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was kind of left up to trial and error, too. Uh,
0: what how did you figure out how to play all that by yourself? That takes, I'm sure, a lot of coordination.
1: Well, I started on the drums, so right, yeah, um, so I'm sure that helped a lot. Yeah, you have the four way independence, and then I would kind of visualize holding a drumstick while I was strumming the guitar and just kind of pretend that there was a stick in my hand instead of a guitar pick. And that, that helped me keep rhythm a little bit when I was first starting out. So what music were you able to play? How did you
0: figure out how to play that music? Because there's specific music for a one-man band. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, add that into your repertoire or did you make, up, make it up on the spot?
1: Um, I think when I started out I was just playing whatever I'd been playing around like campfires and such, you know, for a decade or so. Um, and then there's there's certain one-man band songs that I've added. You know, I do a lot of music from, like, the 20s and 30s um, with that sort of swing beat. It mm. kind of suits the the shuffle of a one-man band. And I've I've definitely added those purposefully. Um, and then I primarily play the ukulele now. So uh, there's also, like, a, a lot of ukulele tunes that Just every ukulele player seems to like to play, um, at least like sort of old-timey ukulele players. So I've added those as well. I didn't realize it was old-time ukulele music. It's not old-time in the sense of like bluegrass old-time, it's like uh, old-time like sort of, you know, early 20th century. Um, Gotcha. They call it ragtime ukulele. Really? Mm
0: -hmm. I have to look into that. I love ragtime. I never thought of... You being literally be in ragtime. Yeah, it's
1: kind of its own term for like that sort of vaudeville, you know, jazzy style of playing. That's cool.
0: So, how many renditions of uh, your one man band have you gone through? You've your
1: uh, the Phones. Mm-hmm. I think I'm on the seventh one that has actually stuck. There have been, you know, sort of attempts in between that didn't really take. But if I play one for at least a few months, then I'll I'll count it among them. So yeah, I think this is number seven. What do they usually uh,
0: persist of, instrument-wise?
1: They always have a bass drum and a couple of cymbals. Um, and then, I think nowadays they always have a cowbell that I can play, like a wind-powered cowbell. Um, a
0: wind-powered cowbell?
1: Yeah, I, I play it with a little piston that I can uh, blow into a tube and activate. And that's just, wow. you know, you only have so many limbs to work with. so Of course. <laughs> it's nice to have a percussion instrument up next to my mouth that I can play as well. Other than that, there's... That's the only real commonality. There's always something under my elbow that acts as a snare drum or a tambourine or something like that. And how often do you perform? Uh, right now, it's about four times a week uh, during a good week. I, I, I'm i a stay-at-home dad until Thursday morning and then and I go wherever they'll have me and play wherever I can until Sunday.
0: Speaking of wherever you can, you've been to Canada, Japan.
1: Mm-hmm. What were the responses up? like in those areas? Canada, I was just performing on the streets. Um, I was just traveling through there and kind of paying my way uh, by playing on the street. And it was, it was a really good experience. It was um, in a town called Kingston. Um, and uh, my only complaint is that their, their money is so heavy that it shattered my tip jar. But, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, all the loonies and toonies they threw into my tip jar uh, broke the poor thing. But that's a good problem to have. For sure, I didn't realize ca- Canadian money was heavy. Yeah, they used giant coins. Uh, oh yeah, instead yeah, of one right. or two dollar bills.
0: So that's crazy. Imagine carrying a whole chunk of change, quite literally. Yeah,
1: it was like carrying a bowling ball around.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! But what was it like in Japan? A completely different culture.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. They, you know, they have a pretty vibrant street performing culture there. Do they? Um a lot of it took place like after hours. They would set up in front of storefronts at like 10 at night uh, when the stores closed. And I was about always too, too beat to perform at that point. I was you know trying to wander around and be a tourist in, in July in Japan. So I never quite had it in me to just s- set up on the street at 10 p.m. But I have a friend who's a professor over there, and he got me about half a dozen shows in various little bars and clubs and places. Um it was it was wonderful. It was it was kind of a nightmare trying to lug a suitcase full of one man band supplies around you know the Tokyo subways at times. Oh I'm sure. Um I mean the people were fantastic. They were you know the really receptive audience. Sometimes you know when I was in my third hour of playing and I was just kind of a mess, I wanted to be like okay, you guys can you can talk over me now. You can you can stop paying attention but just a really attentive, you know, what we would, you know, associate with like a listening room kind of vibe to all the shows, except they were in bars.
0: Wow, really? Mm-hmm. They were that dedicated, that focused on you?
1: Most of the time, yeah. I mean, you know, they, some of some of the bars were more sort of crowded and, of and rowdy than others, but some of the bars were like uh, just a little bit bigger than this studio, you know. Um, so it was, you know, I was kind of off in one corner doing my thing and it was um they were the they were also the best clappers I've ever performed for (laughs) I get you know I'm trying to keep all these instruments going at once and I can get really thrown off by like Like slow clappers or overly eager fast clappers and they they were right on the money with me even that my rhythm is far from perfect when I'm doing that but they were right there with me that's
0: funny do you think there uh did you ever encounter any Japanese women bands at all?
1: Not while I was there, but uh <laughs> I don't want to take credit, but since I've since I've returned, this was about this was in 2016 and uh th- there's quite a few that I've I've found on social media or who have found me. Um and you know, they they're all sort of finding their own ways to do it, um but I somewhere in the back of my mind I I want to believe that, you know, somebody saw some Social media footage of me uh, from their from their friend or something, and decided to do it. I, I want to believe that I'm part of the <laughs> the the wave of one man bands, but yeah, they're there now.
0: That's cool.
1: Have you ever tried to collaborate
0: with another one man band?
1: I haven't. I, I think maybe by nature we're not good collaborators, crazy. right? <laughs> like, and truly, like I'm, it takes up so much of my time trying to always build. More comfortable, more playable uh, versions of my contraption. It sounds like I'm, I'm just maybe doing it to, you know, because I like to tinker. But it's really like the older I get, it's it's really imperative that I, you know,
0: take care of yourself.
1: Yeah, if something starts to hurt my body, then I need to rework it and reinvent it. And I, I don't know what I'm doing, so it it takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of trial and error. What are some of the problems that
0: you often come in contact with when making a new set?
1: Uh well uh certain things will just sort of dig into my back or my neck um any little bit of weight on me even if it's tolerable for a few minutes can you know if it's in the wrong spot if it's hitting a pressure point it can uh start to ruin my posture or uh if I'm compensating you know if if one part of my body is working too hard then another part compensates then that goes out of whack so um for all I know I could move something over a few inches and just save myself a lot of <laughs> pain and suffering. But I don't really know what that, that thing might be.
0: Uh, I'm sure, it, Like you said, it's a lot of trial and error, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out something that uh, you've never properly like researched, I guess. Right. It's something that you're, you're
1: doing out of passion? Out of passion, and it, it, that's, I guess that's what it takes to keep me from getting bored uh, with performing is it you know, it takes all the limbs working all the time. I'm just a very restless person. I'm
0: sure you must be fit too. Doing it.
1: Yeah, my cardio is pretty good. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'll uh, build a contraption and then change size drastically and then I'll have to uh, <laughs> rework all the, the straps and attachment points because I'm a much smaller or larger human than I was when I built it. So what has been your favorite performance
0: so far, do you think?
1: Hmm. That's an interesting one. Because, I mean, there are so many sort of strange performances you do as a one-man band. Because it's almost, it's closer to being like a singing telegram person at times. You know, it's like people don't often hire me just to sort of stand in their club and play music for two hours. It's it's. Something like it's this person's birthday or anniversary and can you barge in and surprise them or, you know. um, I remember one family was uh, camping in their backyard and they were all wearing sort of, I think like 1800s period clothing. Um, It was supposed to be like a bigger event, but it got a little bit drizzly. So it was just the family whose yard it was. And um, I had no idea what to expect, but I went and it was... It was a really interesting show. It's like they're staying in this sort of, uh, you know, uh, pup tent kind of, or I don't know, like this sort of old-timey like canvas tent. And they were like all just in their period clothing and like they were cooking outside and doing everything outside. And I, That's cool. They just wanted to hear all about the, you know, the, the music and the, the contraption and my stories and everything. And it was just, um, just being there with them during this, you know, they're really committed to this uh, camp out and um, just, just being part of that was uh, just really unexpected.
0: Yeah, I'm sure walking in and seeing everything of the 1800s was like, whoa.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was, um, you know, like usually I'm sort of the one that sticks out and <laughs> like we were all <laughs> sort of in this, <laughs> this whimsical <laughs> frame of mind. Have you ever done uh, the uh, re- Renaissance Fair at all? I haven't done the Renaissance Fair. I'm doing... Um, doing the Enchanted Fairy Festival next mm. month. And I did a, a cowboy festival, um, which I, I guess I sort of tangentially, tangentially fit in with. It yeah. was, um, you know, I did my best. I put a handkerchief on and I wore a cowboy hat. And then I um kind of like, uh, I, I told him I don't really know cowboy songs. I played every sort of train song mm-hmm. <laughs> that I could think of. And I, I played Ramblin' Rose by Nat King Cole. <laughs> it's not a cowboy song, but it, Talks about rambling. So, fits, yeah, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, people want me for these really specialized shows, and I have to say, like, well, you know, like I, I played the uh, the opening of Mary Poppins at the Fulton Theater. Like, really, well, most of my songs are from the the next century up, but you know, they're about fifty years off. But I'll, I'll do it, you know, and I, you know, look old timey enough. So right, as long as you fit the fit the spectacle. Yeah, I usually buy the right hat, and then <laughs> <laughs> just kind of try to piece it together from there.
0: What do you think is one of your most interesting stories that you that you like to tell people?
1: Um ooh, there are so many there um I always remember um I've played a bunch of weddings which is um you wouldn't necessarily think it, you know, seeing a one man band sort of you know, sweating and laboring and you know, playing a kazoo. It's not mm-hmm. like the most uh, romantic uh scene in the world, but um I mean, I love it. Like, my hat's off to anybody who wants me at their wedding. You know, it's it's always been really fun and really uh, uh, memorable. But I played at a, uh, I played at a proposal, um, which was, it was, um, I'll, I'll always remember that one. It's a, you know, very, it's not high pressure. Like, they didn't put a lot of pressure on me. Um, it was the, the, the man uh, hired me and, you know, it was pretty much hide in the corner of this space. And then, you know, I'm going to bring my girlfriend in and then just play some love songs and, you know, I'm going to pop the question to her. And, uh, luckily she said, yes, Uh, (laughs) it would have been really memorable had she said, no. Um, and I don't even think, you know, we went over the song list or anything. I just sort of played some, I played a Nina Simone love song. Um, and, uh, but it, it, was, it, it feels very high pressure. You know, that's a,
0: oh, for sure. That's a big moment for both those people.
1: Absolutely. It's like on the very short list of big moments in your life, I would think. Um, and then there was another proposal where I wasn't a one-man band. I just sort of wandered into a restaurant and played Unchained Melody on the guitar. And it was, it was really fun. But that one was even more, I was even more nervous because that one, we had a precise time worked out. And you know, they were both in the restaurant just sitting, having a normal date in the restaurant and I just strolled in with the guitar and played Unchained Melody and uh, half the people in the restaurant knew what was going on and saw him propose and half the people didn't. They just sort of <laughs> politely applauded this man that walked in off the streets <laughs> and played some Righteous Brothers on the guitar. That's,
0: did you have to uh, work out at the restaurant with that? or
1: I think he had done that okay. beforehand.
0: I say, I, I'm always curious about those those like planned proposals and like, how how well does how well do you have to plan that or right. how well of it should spur at the moment?
1: I yeah, I think in both cases the, the gentleman had had planned everything with the space beforehand. Um and the uh that would have been a whole not, whole other layer if, you know, the staff was sort of trying to tap me on the shoulders and <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> politely. <I did>. <laughs> <laughs> like, stop, stop, I'm trying to do something. I think I sort of explain like I came in with the guitar and was like I I'm here to uh, I mean there yeah we know he's he's around the corner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. <laughs> so, uh how do you get your gigs nowadays? You just uh, walk around with your one man band attire and set up <laughs> or
1: I there there's very few sort of um un, unplanned sort of street performing, you know, kind of gigs nowadays. I I have a standing Uh, you know, day of the week at Kitchen Kettle Village, where it's, it's street performing, but it's, I'm the only one there, you know, and I'm asked to be there. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you don't quite have that same chaos factor that you do when you're just rolling up to a town and trying to find the best place to busk. Um, And then I've just, I guess I have enough recurring uh, clients who, you know, they have a, a yearly festival or something, uh, I don't get quite as many retirement home shows as I used to before the pandemic. Uh, I, I'm mm. I have some now. There, I'd say I'm maybe, i maybe have like, you know, thirty or forty percent of uh, as many as I used to. But those are the most memorable performances, I think. Of course, sure. you know, I'll have people that you know can't see and that you know, need to come up and feel all my instruments to understand what's going on, or I'll just have people tell me that they you know they're in a lot of pain and that uh, it has turned their day around to watch the one man band. And I, I, think, uh, I think seniors just like seeing me work really hard. I <laughs> think it just inspires them to watch a, a young person working really, really hard at what they do. I'm
0: sure. I wonder if any of them remember uh, one man bands of like of old. I, it's, I
1: yeah. I, I, I seem to remember a few of them said like, there was someone in my town that used to do that. Um, I think part of the reason people respond to it so much is because it's an image that we all have in our head, like the specific guy wearing a bass drum with a bunch of instruments around his mouth, you know, playing and singing is a, a very iconic image that almost nobody has actually seen in person.
0: Right. It's just pictures or Hollywood.
1: Right, right. It's even, I, I've, someone, my mom got me a little like Christmas ornament of a one-man yeah, band right, figurine. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's definitely an icon that you, know, you you really just don't encounter in your day-to-day life.
0: Do you want to live up to that icon or do you?
1: I do. I, I think, you know, the the downside of being a one-man band, aside from <laughs> the physical punishment, mm-hmm. is that it, it definitely puts me in a box where you know, I'm not really playing my original songs or I'm not really trying to say anything to the audience as far as like the content of the songs I'm playing. I'm really just trying to be that, that icon. And I think of it as a, a kinetic sculpture or a living sculpture that uh, my, my sole purpose is really to, I want someone to walk around the corner and see me and just uh, be taken out of their sort of commonplace, you know, day to day, you know, maybe they're just having a frustrated kind of, uh, you know, dreary humdrum day. And I'm, I'm really trying to transform space the way uh, public art does. Um, but that doesn't leave any room for me to kind of... Experiment? Yeah, yeah. The, the one-man band itself makes enough of a statement that I, <laughs> I feel kind of silly uh, chiming in with my own statements. You know? Just pipe down and play when the saints go marching in. <laughs> yeah, <right.
0: laughs> so how do you get uh, across your original material or other stuff that you do outside of the one-man
1: band? Um, there's two ways. Uh, every now and then I get hired to do a... Uh, I'll do a seated performance. So if I'm playing in a, a place where it just tonally doesn't fit to, to wear all the instruments and have that sort of wacky, you know, parade kind of vibe to it, then I'll, I'll just sit and play foot drums. And I still play mostly the old music from the 20s and 30s. Um, but I'll throw in some originals. And it's not as much of a tone clash. Um, mm-hmm. But th- those are few and you know, those are only every few months. So I, I always feel like I never quite, I don't quite get the stage time to, to, shape the repertoire the way I want to. I'm always sort of improvising a little bit. Um, and then I, I've been in a two-piece band called Lava Cave for... geez, I think we're in our 11th or 12th year now. Um, with Robin Chambers. With yeah. Robin yeah. Chambers, yeah. Um, but we haven't played consistently in a few years, really since my son was born. Um, we'll, we'll go through little spurts where we'll play for a few months, but um, it's really we're trying to figure it out again now. We're trying to figure out how to get together. It's just a matter of getting the rehearsal time in because what happens is, you know, we've we've been playing for so long that we can we can get away with just showing up and playing. And it, mm-hmm. I think people have a good time, but to put anything new into the set and to just not get bored, you know, it's always us sort of trying to dust everything off. and like, all right, this, this sounds great. All right, next song, you know, and just trying to get the old repertoire dusted off and get into... Fighting form, but uh, we haven't really had time to do any new material in quite some time.
0: Talking about the old material, what are some of the top twenties, thirties songs that you would recommend to anybody?
1: Hmm. Well, yeah, I always thought I was a nineteen twenties guy, but when I when I go back and look at the dates of a lot of my favorite songs, they're actually from the early thirties. Um, there's, I love playing a song called "It's Only a Paper Moon." Um, I think that's a gorgeous song. Um what else? I I I really like Cab Calloway is one of my favorites. Um I play a couple Bessie Smith tunes. It's really like a boy doing a woman's job when I sing a Bessie Smith song, but it's <laughs> you know, I I I do my best. Um and she usually she would do a lot of uh songs that were old at the time that she recorded them. You know, there's a few songs from like the 1800s that um I I sort of learned her version of it. Um I love the song After You've Gone. It's a pretty well known sort of, you know, standard song. Um but again, some of these songs have like a sort of downcast, kind of bluesy feel. Mm. And um I'll do them as the one man band, but you, you gotta sprinkle them in kind of gingerly.
0: <laughs> of course, right. I it's incredible to me that you can uh sing one of the songs, still feel the emotions of it.
1: Yeah, well that that's that's the hardest part for sure. Um Singing in general, um, mm-hmm. when you're wearing all the stuff and you Move know around and... yeah, and the breath control goes out the window, and you know relaxing all the parts that need to be relaxed <laughs> is pretty difficult um, usually by the last like half hour I, I feel like I'm there, but it it just takes longer to loosen up than you know than most other uh, musical uh, configurations and uh the first sort of half hour and the last sort of half hour can. You know, they can be unpredictable. Um, usually I will hit the sweet spot. But, um, you know, people people forgive you a lot when you're trying to do all that. <laughs> yeah, I
0: was, was going to say, it's a, it's a tall order for a one-man man, period. Right. And then to have the single on top of that, I'm pretty sure people are like, I'm just glad to see you.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Like, he's he's doing it. Yeah, good he's good do, for him. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's giving it his best shot. And, yeah. that's,
0: and I can applaud him just for that.
1: Well, yeah, and, you know, it, gets, it, it can get discouraging as a musician. You know, you want, to, you want to get better and better, and you want to sort of hone in on little nuances of your performance and, you know, focus on every little aspect of your playing. And I, I really just can't do that. Like, I just have to sort of get through it and, you know, try to make sure it's nice and coherent and loud and clear and uh, try and keep the rhythm as steady as I can. Um, and what it is
0: is what it is.
1: What? Yep, yeah, it's a blunt instrument for sure. What would you uh say to
0: people who want to get into their own one man band or, or try to set up their own kit?
1: Um, I would say, uh, from the very start, like um just think about like the the toll it's taking on your body. Um because, you know, when I was in my twenties, I I I think my second instrument had about seventeen different uh instruments on it. If you count every kind of bell and whistle on there and I don't think I ever weighed that one I have no idea how much it weighed but when I look at pictures of myself with my second contraption I was like doubled over while I was singing because it was so heavy and uh, I just watched my neck position and my watch what my knees were doing and uh, I'm still feeling all that you know I have to I'm taking instruments off so that they're you know I can play them as I get into my 40s but it's it's kind of funny in your 20s to like put yourself through all this punishment to wear this big wacky instrument but I would say err on the side of uh, the, well, the lightest different. instrument. Yeah, yeah. Kind of baby yourself more than you think you need to.
0: Well, no, you're right. Uh, when I did marching band, I, I marched the uh, glockenspiel. Mm. Uh, so just full straps, no back support, but a whole glockenspiel. And I'm, I'm feeling those effects now. Right, um, yeah. You know, my back is all twisted. And uh, Granted, I have casts of steel, but right. <laughs> my back is way worse for wear. Mm um just because of you know marching band
1: right and how many years was that that you were, were? four four, four five years, years. Yeah. yeah yeah it's you know I, I've I've got to watch my knees um so sometimes when I'm playing tag with my son I'll feel my knees get a little bit tricky and then I'll you know <laughs> have to make my excuses but my goal is you know I want I want to be I mean able-bodied you know when my son is 12 or 13 you know of course so if it means having to wear fewer instruments when I play when the saints go marching in, then so be it I guess that's more important
0: yeah as something as something else a lot of musicians should probably realize is that uh longevity is the most important part of being a musician
1: yeah i even if you're just playing one it's yeah it's a very real thing, and uh i I'm trying to go back and kind of break bad habits now um as a as a vocalist as a as a stringed instrument player, you know, this, this whole one-man band business has me all hunched over and bent at weird angles, and I, I'm trying to straighten up and relax everything now, but it's, it's a little harder when you're, you know, middle-aged to try and go back and relearn all these things.
0: Yeah, re- learn how you're supposed to walk. Learn how you're supposed to, <laughs> right. right, Yeah. Are you supposed to sit how you supposed to do all these normal things that you've been doing wrong for years
1: and think about it during your performance you know it's yeah uh,
0: while you're thinking about a million other things
1: that that's the main difference it's 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 like being a golfer you know I'm thinking you know keep your head here, keep your feet this far apart and it's I imagine every every musician has you know a fair share of that amount of you know those kind of things that crop up at a show like you know something feels off and like how do I? where do I make the adjustments? But for me, it's, it's just a unending stream of adjustments. we
0: talking about um, some of your uh, performances. You also worked at, at a
1: Nickelodeon show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, a show called NFL Slime Time. Um, it was, it was the strangest whirlwind of events. I was... Um, just in the yard with my son uh, in the afternoon, and somebody from Nickelodeon called me and basically said, uh, this show is like sort of a, a football, you know, like a, a sports recap highlights show for, for kids. And I, I guess they sort of bet on certain, not bet, but they sort of predict certain teams mm. to win every episode. And uh, they had this losing streak where their team just was losing every single week. And their team finally won, so they wanted to make this big sort of grand spectacle. Um, so basically they wanted confetti to fall and a big, stream, uh, big curtain to come down in the background and then a one-man band to march across the screen playing Stars and Stripes Forever on the kazoo. Um, <laughs> but it, you
0: that on the kazoo so
1: It's you know, you really <laughs> have to uh simplify the the SUSE to <laughs>
0: I was say that's the da 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 is that the stars of Forever? I
1: think it was the da da yeah, that's
0: what it is. It da 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 Yeah, that that'd be a hard one to play on kazoo
1: It yeah, it was just a you know, a condensed few seconds of it and basically walk across the stage to this spot, look at the camera, turn and walk off the screen. Um but they you know, they, they didn't know this team was going to win until a ready couple of days before shooting, maybe one day before shooting. So they called me up. I think the team won on Sunday. They called me on Monday to, to be in Manhattan and, uh, film on Tuesday morning. Um, so I basically had to find childcare for my son. So my mom was able to watch my son, um, get all of his stuff ready, um, fill out all the paperwork needed to, you know, um, all the sort of background checks and everything. Um, and then send those all in and uh, uh, take, go find a rapid COVID test, which was kind of hard to do at that point. Um, mm-hmm. It was before they were being sent out to people. And it was before, the, um, before they could keep them on the shelves in any uh, drugstore. So miraculously, I found one of those and took the test and tested negative, got my son's food and clothes and everything all set up, and then left for New York at like 7.30 or 8 at night um, and got there you know, in the middle of the night and... Uh, and just everything about uh, if there are any one man bands in, in uh, Manhattan, <laughs> uh, my, my hat is off to you because, uh, you know, I had to park my car in the garage with all my gear in it in a parking garage and then just sort of walk to my hotel and collapse and try and be ready for the next day. But and
0: hope it was also there in the morning.
1: I didn't realize that parking garages in Manhattan, they, they put the cars up on these lifts. Like, oh, yeah. Lifts. Yeah, that's right. So I sort of wandered into this garage the next day and, you know, had to sort of explain to this guy, like, um, my contraptions are up in, in my car. I don't know if it's up on a lift, but I need to get all these one-man band contraptions out of my car. I don't want the car right now. I just need to. And luckily, it wasn't on a lift and it wasn't even like, you know, in a big sea of cars. It was just kind of by itself uh, parked on the corner. Uh, so I got all that and went to the studio and uh, had to take another COVID test. And uh, that was the most nerve wracking part of the whole thing, because it was, like, what if I test na- uh, positive now? And uh, right. and when my test was ready to, to look at the results, I saw them like just staring at it for like minutes. <laughs> and uh, the, the one woman was like, hey, can you come take a look at this? And they're they're conferring um, over my test results for like, a long time, and I was like, if if this is positive, you know, this was all this was all useless. This is all totally pointless, and I just have to go back home now. I just got a free night in a hotel in Manhattan from like eleven at night to the morning. Um, but it was it it was negative, and I got to do it. I just it was mostly waiting around while they um, decked out my contraption with like Nickelodeon looking stuff. <laughs> you know, they wanted to match their color scheme, and they put the logo on the the drum heads, and then. Uh, the 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 most memorable part was there was there was some incident backstage where there was a big uh, slime spill um, and it was exactly as I would have thought Nickelodeon was when I was a kid you know if you go backstage I I would have thought they were like mopping up slime and stuff and <laughs> it's what was going they tried to freeze some slime to preserve it for uh, the some uh, segment they were doing and when it, I guess when it thawed it, it sort of expanded beyond its containers mm. and started to uh, take over the backstage area so. There are all these very like uh, important looking like a TV personalities walking through slime. It was it was really interesting.
0: I'm sure that must have been a, a dream almost.
1: It was, yeah. It really brought me back. I didn't know if they were gonna slime me because I, I was like concerned <laughs> they were gonna slime my contraption, but there's like, you know, we don't we don't really do that. And you know, we we'd let you know if we wanted to. Right, of course. <laughs> I, I hope so. I think I wore a slime hat. It was like a rubber hat that looks like I'd been slimed. That's
0: cool. Do you still have all that all that like logo stuff on that contraption or?
1: I don't. I think I kept one um they put like a they cut out a big like purple feather that I think they put in my hat, even though I ended up wearing the slime hat, but they put a big purple feather on my hat uh at one point. Um and I, I gave that to my son for him to play with. That's awesome. And there'll be confetti from it in my car uh till the day my car dies, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just continuously finding it. That's
0: awesome. Do you do you ever want to do like stuff like that? Like uh have you ever thought about doing TV shows or or anything like documentaries?
1: You know, I hadn't. Um I'm I'm a pretty I'm a pretty sort of nervous self-conscious uh on-air personality, I think. Um uh luckily all I had to do was walk and then look at the camera and then walk away. Yeah, but I don't know if I could do anything uh more sophisticated than that. Um or it would take, you know, 10 more years of practice before I could do that. Um, I thought about uh, all kinds of different, like, documentaries or blogs or video blogs. Um, It's just a matter of, uh, I think my son is now reaching a certain age where I can branch out and start Mm. to focus on these things again. But I've kind of been just trying to keep my head above water while he's been a a baby and toddler, you know, just trying to find enough work. Um, But you know, he's, he's really good about letting me work now and sort of doing his thing. So, um, isn't that incredible when a baby starts like actually being able to
0: do whatever they want and you can like, just let them do what they want. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know, he'll, he'll, I'll leave some of my tools out for him to touch like anything that, you know, a three-year-old can safely handle and, um, any instruments that I'm not worried about, you know, a (laughs) (laughs) three-year-old touching, um, but so between that and just letting him go have some free play, he's surprisingly reasonable. <laughs> like, I need to work on my instruments. I think it's funny that he just sees my instruments and associates it with uh, work. Like, that's just <laughs> what work looks like to him. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really proud of him. I'm really impressed by his ability to, to let me get those things done. What does he think
0: so far, or does he think anything of your uh, one-man-man man act?
1: And he loves it. He'll usually ask me you know, to play different parts of it if I'm wearing it um, around him. And uh, I think he's under the impression that other grown-ups do similar things when they're at work.
0: <laughs> he's probably for a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is.
1: I mean, if you think about it, he's in daycare where they, they sing a lot. Yeah. And then his dad sings at work. So I think he, he was asking me the other day if, you know, if different people sang while they were at work. It's Like, well, it's probably not part of their job, but you know they might, they hopefully might. they do hopefully. some at <laughs> some point in their workday. So how do you plan uh, you've traveled all over the world.
0: How do you plan those travels? Do you, is it, do you think much about it, or do you just go and worry about it later?
1: Um, I think with Japan, um, my friend Josh, who was a professor over there, I think he really did the heavy lifting for me as far as even like where to stay. Um, there were a few hostels that, that we booked and everything but um, he lined up places to stay that I never would have found you know and I never would have known how to book a show there. And there were sort of quirky places where they were kind of these little arts collective um, you know and it, it it really didn't look like a place where you would wander in and give them a business card and ask for it so that was all up to him. Um, Canada, I just, Basically researched the uh, the busking uh, laws for this town, Kingston, and um, got an Airbnb and just went from there. And th- that's, uh, the last few years, the only travel I've really done is either up to New England or down to the Upper South and, and done something similar. I'll just research, you know. Or ba- basically, are, are they friendly or unfriendly towards street performers? And then... If it seems like other people are doing it, I'll get an Airbnb and just try my luck. Um, For now, I think the long-term travel or international travel is just indefinitely on hold. Mm
0: -hmm. We have some of your songs we would like to play. Uh, Let's hear about the Halloween at
1: the... Halloween at the Poor House. Yeah, that's a really old tune. Um, It's just sort of a little vignette that popped into my head. It was um, sort of... uh, most of my songs are, are in some way about coping with, um, anxiety in some form or another. And this one came out a little bit more about shame. It's about two people running into each other and denying that they, you know, you never saw me, I never saw you. Um, it doesn't have any literal bearing on my life. It was just a certain feeling of like being kind of ashamed of, of your past. And, uh, it's just these a little bit closer to a character song than anything I usually write. And, um, yeah, just basically has the, um, the wisest words I ever wrote in the chorus. It just says, what now? And that's, yeah. I kind of thought of the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz when she gets melted and she screams, what a world, what a world. <laughs> it's this very vaudevillian kind of thing to yell. And sometimes I just, uh, you know, throw my hands up and say, what now? So it's a, it's a good thing to get off your chest when you're playing it live. Well, with
0: that said, this is Halloween at the Poorhouse.
1: Is it by you or by Lava Cave? It's by Lava Cave. Um, Robin had huge contributions to the arrangement of this tune. I think you'll be able to hear that. Here it is.
2: House to
0: Halloween at the Poor House by Lava Cave. What a fun song! Oh, thanks. We have another one of yours, uh, Calamity Jane. We want to talk about that one.
1: That's just a breakup song, uh, <laughs> plain and simple. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of a, the breakup stage, right when you know it's over, but you're not. You haven't parted ways yet. It's the mm. best I can describe it. So you know someone's on their way out, and you're just kind of trying to say goodbye.
0: Well. With that said, this is Calamity Jane. Is this also by Lava Cave?
1: This is also by Lava Cave. I should add, yeah, these both have Robin Chambers, and this is when we had Donna Volus as our bass player. And we should also say that you can find them on Spotify. You can find them on Spotify, yeah.
0: So with that said, this is Calamity Jane by Lava Cave.
2: When we were younger, I used to wonder what life becomes from the beginning, just how much living is quite enough. Ready to tumble From a bluff so high Left me beneath you Too scared to leave you Too low to cry your stories get up before me run like a child your loving creature too slow to reach you has left
0: Calamity Jane by Lava Cave, Where can people find you? Do you have any upcoming performances?
1: Um, yeah, my one man band um, i'm at uh, I 'm at Kitchen Kettle Village uh, every Friday and then the occasional Saturday I think I'm there this Saturday and um, September 2nd I 'm at the Hanover Chili Cook Off roaming around the grounds on September 4th uh, that 's a real interesting one because i 'm just sort of trying to navigate my way through the uh, crowds of people. Um, and it gets a little uh, <laughs> gets a little dicey sometimes. Sorry if I get in your way. Um, and then uh, I'm at the Enchanted Fairy Festival, like I said. I, I believe that's uh, September 17th. Uh, and then I'm at the Broad Street Market in Harrisburg on the 24th. Uh, I could go on, but that's.
0: And I'm sure you can find all of his events on your face on your uh, Instagram. Um,
1: well, as of yesterday, uh, I believe uh, you can go to nickdesanto.band Ah. and find all my events. Uh, I've been trying to get my website set up for a long time, and I finally found uh, the right person for the job. So, yep, nickdesanto.band will take you there. There you go. Well, hey, I have some general questions before we end off the episode. So, uh, first one, what is the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you? The best piece of advice? um, A man who was making me custom insoles for my shoes once told me to uh, fine-tune my... My living, so I was thinking in terms of being a sculpture, then a sculptor, then. Uh, Now I'm a sculptor, but I was thinking in terms of being a sculptor then, and he was saying, you know, find find something really fine tuned. Maybe no one around here makes ice sculptures, just for example, you know. So, I feel like I have uh, taken that to heart. Uh, Did you ever commit to being a sculptor? I've done um, you know some commercial sculpture work. Um, I have a a friend that does a lot of. it's a lot of commercial sculpture jobs. I just, uh, it's hard uh, between my performance schedule and my parenting responsibilities. It's, it's hard to be of any use to him right now. Fair enough. Oh, and speaking of sculpture, the other best piece of advice is my sculpture professor once told me I, I tried to wiggle everything before it was dry. Mm. And I would uh, undermine the structural integrity of all my things by like trying to move them around before whatever glue or anything set. And uh, I think both... Literally and metaphorically. That, those are good <laughs> <questions>. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> what are some of the biggest mistakes that maybe you've made or seen other people make in the music industry and how can we curb that for future generations?
2: Hmm.
1: Oh, the industry, I'm not sure about. Uh I, I don't know if I feel qualified to speak to that because I have such a kind of offbeat, silly little corner of the, the, the cake. But I, I feel like I feel myself kind of, um, conforming to audience expectations for, for reasons we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly don't want to like challenge my audience with like, you know, I don't want to rankle them with my material per se, but I do sometimes think that we, we lose focus uh, our initial goals as creative people kind of creep towards just a more general acceptance. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, uh, your audience meeting your audience's needs to, but, um, I think there's a certain degree of sameness that can creep in. I know I've felt it with myself, you know, some of the the, the strange barnacles that used to cling to my ship that I kind of miss that have gotten sanded off because I'm trying to please my audience. Um, yeah, so that that's, that's more of a warning to myself, I think, than <laughs> to anyone else.
0: What are some of the, the funniest things or some of the worst things that ever happened to you during a performance?
1: Um when you're playing out on the street, it could, it could go either way. (laughs) Um, and there was one time where a gentleman with a guitar asked if he could come play with me. And, um, I mean, he just wanted to sit in for a minute, you know, because obviously I'm a one man band, the whole premise falls apart. If you come join me. (laughs) Um, but, uh, this guy had a guitar and, um, you know, I started playing a song and he was just sort of, everything he was playing sounded sort of strange and out of key, but he, he was really friendly. So I I just kind of went with it and I was like, well, he must be just sort of a, a rocker that knows how to play in like the popular guitar keys. So, you know, I'll play a song in E or A and, and he'll get it. And then I realized, I looked over and I realized that he was just plucking open strings on a guitar that was like really out of tune. It was just a prop. Like he was just a, a guy wandering the streets with a guitar and he was just like Plonking on the strings as hard as he could, (laughs) atonally, and it was the, it it was just the worst cacophony. If you imagine, I mean, a one-man band is noisy enough (laughs) without a a detuned guitar (laughs) just plonking away. And you know, obviously, I've gotten the whole spectrum of either harassment or you know, um, just sort of strange strange people taking an interest in me. My favorite was when um, I was playing with. I used to have this little basket of instruments or kids or adults that wanted to play along. And these two kids came up while I was playing a song and just sort of, they waved dollar bills and kind of said something. And I thought they were offering to tip me if they could play along. And I just nodded and sort of looked at the basket. And um, they just picked up two drums from the basket, like one drum each, and just walked off. And I realized what they were asking me if they could purchase the instruments in the basket for a dollar each. And I I said yes, in fairness to them. You know, they asked and they, they paid, so they... (laughs) <laughs> they just walked off with their, their purchased instruments. <laughs> Luckily, nothing too expensive ever goes into there.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, has a instrument ever broken on you? Oh, it- yes.
1: Yeah, everything is broken. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it depends on what breaks and, and what kind of show it is. You know, I, I can, if it's at Kitchen Kettle Village, I can just say I, I'm going to take a little break and be back with you soon. Um but I mean, the, the guitars, the harmonicas, the kazoos, the 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 bass drum itself is that's that's when there's trouble. Like I can mm-hmm. work around anything, but when the bass drum breaks, it's it's hard to recover from that. So nowadays, I I play the bass drum with both feet. So if if the attachment to one foot breaks, then I can still. It's not easy. I sort of have to reshuffle in my brain on the spur of the moment. But um, a few months ago, my my right foot attachment broke, so I just had to play the bass drum with my left foot the whole time, and it. It worked fine. I couldn't really move around or, like, you know, lose myself in the performance. But, you know, other people don't know about which foot controls what. They don't care. So it's just there to watch. Right.
0: So what is one thing that you know now that you wish you had known when you first
1: started? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. One thing I know now that I wish I'd known when I first started. Whew. I think... I think I would, when I first started, I think I generally tried to lay things on a little bit too thick. Um, I think every performer goes through a period where they're shy at first, and then they get really sort of overly, you know, they, we ham it up a little too much. I drew a graph of this once at rehearsal. We go from hammy to mousy to a happy medium, so I drew a big ham hawk and then a little mouse and then a, a half mouse, half ham kind of a hybrid that... So nowadays, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not trying to lay things on as thick, and I, I look at old videos of myself performing, and I, I kind of cringe. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I still have trouble with this. I have trouble loosening up and just sort of being relaxed and comfortable. I sort of, uh, you know, push everything a little bit too much. So I'd say I would go back and give myself that advice, but I'm hoping, like, me five years from now can come back to now and give me that advice <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> when I go to perform. What is one of the most memorable lessons you've ever learned? Uh, most memorable lesson is that, like, um, for whatever reason, the one-man band is, like, useful and valuable to people, and that's why I really miss playing in as many retirement homes as I used to because it not only seemed like it was entertaining people, but it felt it felt useful, and the lesson was that, like, even the the silliest – possible way to get music across. um, It it was valuable to people. I mean, you know, I play in, uh, in memory loss, um, you know, areas of the building, there's always like the independent living floor, and then the memory loss floor. And I'll usually play both if I go to a retirement community. And people that don't, you know, that have no short term memories or aren't conversational, um, can start singing along with certain songs. And that's I've cool. had people tell me that unresponsive relatives will sort of smile and tap their feet if they hear a song that you know uh, harkens back to something in their mind. So that's cool. Yeah this this stuff is this stuff is useful. It's not just it's not like a, a silly indulgence. I mean it's it's silly to be sure, but it's, it it's has useful. This,
0: it's prat- it has its practical uses. Too. Yeah, yeah. Last question: What is one thing
1: that you can encourage
0: other musicians with?
2: Hmm.
1: I think that would have to be, that would have to kind of dovetail with uh, the, uh, the, that, that uh, that foot doctor's advice to me. Um, it would be, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily to like be weird or be different, you know, because like, I mean, I know plenty of people that can, can do everything they need to do in, in a more conventional format by playing one instrument and being good at one instrument and maybe singing a song along with that instrument maybe not um but it would be maybe not to allow yourself to be uh pressured by the you know the way things are going I mean I at this point I don't really fit in with any audience like I'm uh you know a little bit too a little bit too weird for the bar scene but uh, some of these songs are a little bit too bluesy and too uh, melancholy to be like a straight up kind of kids entertainer so <laughs> I'm kind of neither fish nor fowl and uh, that, you know you'll, you'll definitely lose some work but uh, <laughs> I just don't think you should feel too compelled I, I'd say think about think about what you're not it's easier than realizing what, what you are,
0: are. Yeah. yeah well hey with all that said if you have enjoyed this episode please be sure to like subscribe comment share with all your friends. If you want to see Nick, please be sure to go check out his website, Nick Desanto Band.
1: Nick Desanto dot band
0: dot band. Check out all of his performances. It's really a once in a lifetime experience. I'm sure. Uh, I'm gonna have to check him out because I've I've only known you from other people. All right. Yeah. So. If you want to check out our upcoming episodes or our, any of our past episodes, you can go anywhere. Search up The Story, Cory Rosa, that's C O R C O R Y R O S E. And if you want to check out our upcoming guests, you can go to our Facebook or Instagram. Up this Sunday, we have a musician, comedian, and actor, Mr. Austin Green. Otherwise, I hope you guys have a oh, if you really want to support us, we do have merchandise out for sale. That is something we do have. Uh, we got stickers, and we have shirts and hoodies with the first fifty guests on the back. Uh, be sure to get those in before September, because otherwise, you might not be able to get one. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys later. Bye.